Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gaur Gopinath Shai Mukunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhan Ki Jai Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai Mathura Dhamma Ki Jai Nabhadri Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai Gangamai Juna Devi Ki Jai Bhakti Devi Ki Jai Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai Samaveta Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai Gaur all glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasaya Bhutale Shumati Bhakti Vinata Swamini Chinamani. Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Bhutarani. Nirvase Sasunivadi Paspachade Shitarani. Vanchakalpatri Vishaki Vasanabhiya Bhutapati Chinampavani Vyavashnavivinamani. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya And we're in Chennai, India, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 8, Chapter 18, Text 20. Shudva Samedar Yagyamana Murjitam Balim Bhagunam Upakalpitastata
Mitzvah. After hearing Ashramedahai by Ashramedah sacrifices, Yagimanam, the performer, Urjitam, very glorious, Balim, Balim Maharaja, Brigunam, under the guidance of the Brahmanas born in the Brigu dynasty. Upakalpitai performed Tataha from that place Jagama went Tatra there Akila Sada Samritha the Supreme Personality of God had the essence of all creation Varena with the weight Gam the earth Sanamayana depressing Pade Pade at every step. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. When the Lord heard that Bali Maharaja was performing Ashramedha sacrifices under the patronage of Brahmanas belonging to the Brigu dynasty, the Supreme Lord, who was full in every respect, proceeded there to show his mercy to Bali Maharaja. By his weight, he pushed down the earth at every step. Purport. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is Akila Sada Samrita. In other words, he is the proprietor of everything essential in this material world. Thus, although the Lord was going to Bali Maharaja to beg something, he is always complete and has nothing to beg from anyone. Indeed, he is so powerful that in his full opulence, he pressed down the surface of the earth at every step. When the Lord heard that Bali Maharaja was performing Asramedha sacrifices under the patronage of Ramanas belonging to the Brigu dynasty, the Supreme Lord, who is full in every respect, proceeded there to show his mercy to Bali Maharaja. By his weight, he pushed down the earth with every step. So, Raman Dev hasn't yet asked Bali for anything, and this is our introduction, that he's so powerful. When we walk, does the whole earth go down? No. We make a little depression, huh? If you walk in the sand on the beach, you make a little depression in the sand, but the whole earth doesn't tremble. Maybe we'd like it to. <laughs> there are certainly people who have that idea that whatever I say, everybody quakes, and wherever I walk, the earth trembles. But it's not really so. But when Vamandev, although he appeared as a small a dwarf, little, very little, you know, he didn't look very powerful, he looked like a little boy. But still, whenever he walked, the whole earth was pushed down. So someone like that has nothing to beg. If you're God, you have nothing to beg. Just like when Krishna was having a fun argument with his wife, Rukmini, he said to her, you shouldn't stay married to me anymore. You should go marry someone else, which to her was a little astonishing on many platforms. I mean, she was already a grandmother, and there was no divorce and remarriage in those days. But in any case, if you're married to God and he says, I think you should go and marry someone else, that's a little disturbing. <laughs> Krishna does that. The devotees come to him and he says, are you sure you want to be here? 
He says that to the Gobies also. They come and he says, you should go home. Anyway, so he said to her, you should marry somebody else because I'm penniless. I don't own anything. And she says, you don't have to own anything. You are everything. So, no need for you to possess anything. So if you are already are everything, all these, everything is Krishna. It's all Krishna and Krishna's energy. So what does he need to ask anything from you or from anyone? He doesn't need to ask anything. So we may ask, well, why is the Lord asking me for so many things? He's asking for so many things, isn't he? Saying, please give me your time, give me your money, give me your thoughts, give me your love, give me your food. And Prabhupada says that the impersonalists or the atheists are saying, oh, so God must be hungry. He must be needy. You know, like they have this story in Tirupati that the Lord's in debt for his wedding. He needs money to pay off his wedding debt. It's taking a long time to pay off his debt. So people think like that. God needs our money. We may even present like that sometimes as Krishna's servants. Oh, we have to build this temple. We have to fix up the parking lot. We have a need. You need to give your time. You need to give your money. We have the, There's a problem. There's a lack. And one may think that God is needy like that. Give me everything, whatever you do, offer it to me. I am the enjoyer of your sacrifice. Why does why God have to enjoy myself? Why can't I enjoy my sacrifice? He has everything already. What does he need from me? He seems to be very demanding. You surrender everything. You know, in this world, if somebody's demanding like that, we try to avoid them, isn't it? If someone says, you surrender to me, give me your food first, give me your money, give me your time, whatever you do, I'm going to enjoy it, you're not going to enjoy it. So in this world, such a person would be a criminal, wouldn't they? Isn't that slavery? You work and I enjoy. Yes? So we tend to think that either God is just taking from us, or, you know, that he's an ordinary person. We don't really understand what is the nature of God. So here we see that he has everything, and yet he's begging. And he's coming in a very humble way as we'll see later on, you know, his little boy, please just give me three steps of land. And then, of course, he takes everything. He does that regularly, by the way, with all of us. He says, just give me a flower. And then he takes everything. So if we think about the difference between why do we give and take, why do we condition souls give and take, and why does Krishna give and take? So when we give and take, we do so because we lack something. And if we're honest, 
Honesty is a very difficult quality to be self-honest. One person write me an email yesterday. I have no material desires. I've surrendered everything. Why aren't I back to God? I'm thinking how to reply. But we, we think like that. I'm already perfect. You know, why isn't God coming and begging for me to come? But when we give and take, it's because we are feeling some lack, some incompleteness. We are feeling a need. And we have many ways of trying to meet our needs. So in the mode of ignorance, we try to meet our needs by stealing, by force, by taking. The lowest level of this is criminal activity, stealing, raping. And I just try to take something without the permission or the will of the other. But there's many ways in which we try to force our will on others. We can try to be forceful even by speaking very loudly. You know, my wish is the fact. What I have to say is the fact, and you just have to accept it. That's another way of trying to steal, trying to force something on somebody. Trying to make other people feel guilty. If you're really a good devotee, then you'll do this. I hate that. If you really love Srila Prabhupada, if you're really loyal, then you'll do this. So it's all forcing. Right? It's trying to impose your will on someone. And we, we go to forcing because we start thinking, if I don't get this thing, I, I won't be happy. I won't be able to live. I won't get what I need. So I have to force. I have to be cruel. I have to be heavy. I have to be manipulative. Then in the mode of passion, we try to get our needs met by an exchange. I'll give you this, you give me this. At least we're paying, we're not stealing anymore. But our purpose in paying is not to benefit the other, but to get something for ourselves. Just like ordinarily somebody goes to a shop, do they think about benefiting the shopkeeper? Anybody thinks like that? If you go to a shop and everything is on sale, do you complain? Do you say, oh my dear shopkeeper, you are selling at such a low price. How will you make any money? I'll pay you the regular price. Anybody say that? So in the mode of passion, it's like that. We're, we're exchanging, but we're always trying to get a sale, and we're thinking of our own benefit. And this is true, if someone's in the mode of passion, this is true even in the family. It's even true between parents and children, and husband and wife, and friends and friends, and employees and employers. We put a little covering, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. But if we don't get what we need, then there's no love anymore, immediately. So that's in the mode of passion. Then the mode of goodness, we try to get what we need by becoming balanced and in harmony within. We try to become in harmony with nature. We try to become equal poised and forgiving. And we try to get what we need in that way, which is certainly the best of the three. But even in Satvagun, one is still feeling that one is lacking something. And the point is still, I am trying to get what I need. There's a famous, there was, he's not living anymore, Catholic theologian named Thomas Merton, who wrote an appreciation of Srila Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita as it is. And he said, everyone has a God-shaped vacuum in their heart. So as long as we are in material conditioned life, we feel needy. We feel incomplete. And from an illusory perspective, 
we are incomplete. Without air, immediately the body will die, right? A few minutes without air, a few days without water, a few weeks without food, right? A few hours without proper temperature, too hot, too cold, never gets too cold here, but anyway. Then you will die. So we, we have a need. We have a need for air. We have a need for proper temperature. We have a need for water. We, we can't produce them. I, I can't produce my own air. I can't produce my own. I can't keep like drinking my urine and produce my own water. I can't produce my own food. I, I'm, I'm dependent on something outside myself. That's how it appears when one is materially illusioned. And so therefore there's competition for resources, and if somebody asks something of us, then we become hesitant. And even when the Lord asks, we become hesitant, and we think, hmm, why is he asking so much? Already I'm incomplete, and already I'm needy, and if I give him all these things, I'll have even less. This is the, our general mood. All right, well, okay, how much, let's see, how much charity can I give? All right, let's see. I need this for this. Okay, I can give this much. But Krishna's asking for everything. And we think, but I'm already so needy. I'm, I'm already in so much anxiety about everything. If I give him everything, then I'll be completely empty. And materially, again, if somebody asks for everything, that's exactly what will happen. Hmm? If you find another conditioned soul, and that other conditioned soul says to you, give me your time, give me your money, give me your love, give me this, 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 and you do it, then you will feel empty at the end. And I think we've all had this experience. We totally give our heart to another conditioned soul, whether it's a family member, whether it's an employer, whether it's our government, whether it's all of humanity. And we simply feel empty and disappointed. And nor does the other person get complete. Isn't that also interesting? And if I were to take everything, if I were to take everything, if I were to take everything from everyone here, you know, I still wouldn't feel complete. That is why big dictators who really tried to do that, people like Hitler or Idli Amin or Stalin or in the Shastra, Haranyakashipu, they're still not happy. Did you notice that? They're not happy people. It's not like Hitler, after getting all the allegiance of his country, that he was happy. He said, okay, now I'm happy. No, he says, now I want Poland. Now I want Austria. Now I want Russia. And in the end, when he couldn't get everything, he said, okay, now burn Germany. You know what he said? He said, now destroy my own country. Or Hiranyakashipu, he had the allegiance of all the demigods, but he was always taking alcohol. Happy people don't drink alcohol. He was constantly intoxicated. And he was constantly yelling at the demigods for no reason. So, which is another symptom of unhappiness. So with another conditioned jiva, if I give you everything, I become empty. And with other conditioned jivas, if I take everything, I'm still not satisfied. It doesn't fill me. But with Krishna, it's completely different. We're looking at something completely different. And this may be why the fact that although the Lord although the Lord is a person with a form, with personality, is, is giving and taking is so different. Because of that, many philosophers just say, okay, God has no form. Because as soon as people understand God has a form and a personality, then they'll think, oh, it's going to be like our giving and taking in this world. 
where everybody is just exploiting everyone and no one is ever satisfied. But the Lord's position is such that he is full. He is everything. He is completely full. Everything that he's asking for is already his. Completely. And he can already do with it whatever he wants. Can Krishna do with any of our possessions whatever he wants? Can he? Can Krishna do with our money whatever he wants? Does he have a million different ways of giving and taking our money? Yes. What about our body? Can Krishna do with our body whatever he wants? Yes. We can become sick immediately, yes? Or we can become healthy immediately. We can die immediately. Does he discuss this with us? Does he come and have a discussion? Uh, excuse me, at 10.30 this morning, I'm thinking about giving you a bad cold. Is this okay with you? Will that timing work for you? Or maybe you'd like it more at 11.30? Or... He just does whatever he wants. With our house also. Can he take your house? Yes? Can he give you a house? Yes. And he can do with it whatever he wants, whenever he wants, without consulting with us. I mean, we would like him to consult when we ask him, please consult with me. You know? Please, please ask me first. You know? But he doesn't necessarily do that. That must mean it's his, yes? Obviously. It's not mine. If it was mine, I could control it. Can we do that? Can we do that? No. So it's already his. He's already complete. He's already complete. So why is he asking? And he asked, as we said earlier, for a lot. In fact, he asked for everything. So this is the secret. You know, when Krishna gives to us and takes away from us, we take it so seriously also, isn't it? Don't we? Okay. Krishna takes your favorite shoes, or he takes a thousand rupees, or he takes your child. So many people become atheists when God takes their child. Very common. Or takes their health, then they become an atheist. We take it so seriously. And if we get something, we also take so seriously what he's giving, what he's taking. But it was already his. So what is his giving and taking and demanding? It's actually love. And it's only fun. It's just fun. Like we read about in the Goswami literatures, how every day Krishna goes with the gopis and they gamble. Did you know that Krishna gambles? So we're not allowed to gamble. But Krishna gambles. Do you know why we're not allowed to gamble, yes? Do you know why we're not allowed to gamble? Probably none of you gamble anyway, so it's not an issue. But the, the reason we're not allowed to gamble is gambling is a form of stealing. If, if you give me money, I should give you something of equal or greater value in return. Some goods or some services. So gambling, I'm taking your money, what am I giving you? Absolutely nothing. Yes? I'm giving you the hope that you can take my money, that's all. <laughs> uh, but it's not an honest exchange of goods or services. So when Krishna gambles, though, it's just fun. So he gambles with his, his, his gopis. And what does he wager? You know what he wagers? Anybody know what Krishna wagers? Do you know? His flute. 
Rishi says, I will wager my flute, and Radharani wages her necklace. So sometimes Radharani takes his flute. You know that, yes? You all know that? Sometimes she would. So then Krishna doesn't have any flute anymore? It's just fun. And at the end of the game, they give everything back. It's just fun. So they're playing the game, and Krishna says, okay, I'll put down my flute, and Radharani says, I'll put down my necklace, and Radharani wins, and she gets Krishna's flute. And then they give it back. Okay, time to go home, give everything back. Put away the game board. So Krishna's giving and taking from us is exactly like that. And this is what he's going to do with Bali Maharaj. Oh, just three steps of land. And then he takes the universe. And then he says, you know what, Bali? You can be on the lower planet that's more opulent than that of Indra, so you'll get more opulence back. And later you'll become Indra. He gives it all back. It's just play. Therefore we say the Lord has Leela. The Lord doesn't work. It appears he has janma, we say janmastami. And it appears he has karma, he's doing something, he's walking. But it's all divyam, it's all divine. It's just fun. It's just fun. Like if you, if you have a little child and you give the child something and the child gives it back and you give and you give it back. Yeah? So Krishna is just playing like that with his devotee. Of course, for the beginning devotee, it, it is kind of a serious matter because we've been claiming God's property is ours. And he's saying, it's mine. But once we get past that, become at least civilized human beings, then our giving and taking with the Lord becomes play. It becomes simply fun. And what's even more astonishing than that is when we are engaging in this give and take with the Lord, we stop feeling needy. We stop feeling empty. In fact, astonishingly enough, when you give everything to the Lord, you end up feeling completely full. There was a nice story that there were the Duryodhan thought that Maharaj Yudhisthira and his brothers were his enemies, which they weren't actually, but he was thinking like that. Oh, they want to take my kingdom. They want to take things from me. So he cheated them and they were exiled into the forest. But that wasn't enough for Duryodhan. And when Durvasamuni came to visit Duryodhan, Duryodhan says, you know, I love my cousin's brothers so much. Why don't you go see them also and bless them? Make sure you go after Draupadi's taking her meals. That's the best time to see them and they'll be so happy to see you then. So Draupadi had this magic pot that would produce an unlimited amount of food until she ate, which meant that every day she fasted until evening. It was a, a great tapasvi. Hmm? Yes. It's actually a factor. It's magic pot. So she would fast until evening every day. And as soon as she ate, then the pot wouldn't produce again until the next day. So she had cooked, and she fed everybody, and then she had taken her meals. And at that time, Dervasamuni comes with his, sometimes it said 10,000 disciples, and sometimes it says 60,000 disciples. 
So just imagine if somebody came to the temple with 10,000 disciples, please feed me. You know, in Jagannath Puri, they can do that. They're prepared to feed 10,000, but I don't think here, no? We would be in trouble. But Jopati normally wouldn't be in trouble because her magic pot could feed an unlimited number of people. But she'd already eaten that day. She couldn't feed them till the next day. And then uh, Maharaj Yudhisthira said to them, Oh, we'll be happy to feed you. Why don't you first bathe? Because the Vedic standard is if you're traveling, before you do anything else, you bathe. When you bathe, it sort of reassembles your life airs from traveling. You know, after a long journey, you kind of feel a little, like, spaced out. So they went to the river to bathe, and then Draupadi, naturally, as a, although she's a pure devotee, she's also a lady. So she was, what are a ladies going to do in such circumstances? They went to cry. She was crying. And because she's a lady, she's crying, but because she's a great devotee, pure devotee, she was also praying. Krishna, help me. Krishna, what am I going to do? Because Dravasamuni had a well-disturbed reputation. <laughs> that he would curse very easily. And a Brahmin's curse. And then Krishna just appeared there in the forest. He just like showed up. Yes? You called? <laughs> he says, let me see that pot. So she brings the pot and it wasn't washed yet. She'd eaten, but the pot wasn't washed. So there was some little something, some little rice or vegetable stuck in the pot. Little, tiny. And he took that. He said, oh, very nice. And as soon as he ate that, all Durvasa Muni and all of his disciples, they felt like they had just eaten a very big feast. <laughs> and you know how you feel after you've eaten a very big feast. Somebody can bring your favorite food and you say no. I remember once in Bahrain, they gave me this meal of 40 or 50 preparations, something completely ridiculous for an ordinary human being to eat. You know, even you just take one taste of everything, you're completely full. So I finished somehow or other, and I washed my hands, and I was walking away, and some other people come in the room, oh, here's more! No. <laughs> Please, no. So Dravasamuni and his, his disciples, they looked at each other, why are we feeling full? And they said, we cannot go anymore to Yudhisthira because we won't want to eat anything and he will feel offended. You know, if you go to someone's house and you, no, no, I already ate, but they'll be offended. So they just left. So it is exactly like that. When we give Krishna, we feel satisfied. When we give to Krishna, we feel satisfied. That is a fact. It won't matter anymore whether you have this or that. Or you don't have this or you don't have that. Then it really doesn't matter. Sudama Brahmana loved Krishna when he was poor and when he was rich. It didn't matter. And therefore Bhakti Thakur says, Sampade vipade jivane marane. It doesn't matter. You kill me, you protect me. Because the devotee then feels completely full. Why? Because we are all naturally connected with the Supreme. That is our natural position. And when we give everything to the Supreme, we experience the connection that's already there. It's exactly like if the hand puts all the food into the mouth, the hand feels completely satisfied. Immediately and automatically. Immediately and automatically. 
And so when Krishna is saying, please give me, not only is it just fun, but he's saying, you know, if you give me, then you'll feel completely satisfied because you're part of me. And it's not like ordinary, you know, if, you're, if your family member says that, you're part of the family, give to the family. But that's not really true. You're part of this country, give to the country, you'll feel satisfied. But it's not really true. We're not really part of that country. We're not really part of that family. But we're really part of Krishna. Mamai Vamsa Jiva Lokya Jiva Bhutasanatana. We're struggling with these senses and mind, thinking that we're separate. But Krishna's own Purnam Adha Purnam Idam Purnam 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 Adaya Purnam Eva Vasishyate. He's so complete, it's, it, he's infinite. Infinite minus infinite is infinite. So even if you give Krishna everything, he will fill you up again and 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 again. And what you're giving is already his. It's like one of those waterfalls where the water keeps going around. You know, right? There's a pump underneath and the water's going. So it's like that. You're giving to Krishna, but there's a pump. He's filling you up and 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 he's filling you up. And, he's filling you, up and, he's... and there's, you have so much to give, you can't even give it all away to Krishna. And you're giving to all living entities. And then you don't care if anybody gives you back or not. It doesn't matter. Honor, dishonor, fame, infamy, heat, cold, happiness, distress. It doesn't matter because you have everything. So this is spiritual life. And the devotees so much enjoy giving to Krishna. They so much enjoy giving to Krishna uh, that they don't want to stop. And Krishna so much enjoys giving to his devotees that he doesn't want to stop. Of course, the caveat, my dear friends, is please make sure you're giving to Krishna. Make sure you're not giving to something else in the name of giving to Krishna. And make sure you're really giving to Krishna. You may say, well, I tried giving everything to Krishna, it didn't work. Sometimes we can give to the devotees thinking they're like our material family. Thinking in a material way. Well, I'm going to give Krishna by giving the devotees and they're like my family and they'll take care of me. If you do that, you will be very disappointed hurt, you'll be disappointed, just like any material relationship. But if you're really giving to Krishna, if you give to the devotees to satisfy Krishna, if you give to your family to satisfy Krishna, if you really do it that way, your evidence is that you will feel satisfied. You'll actually experience that you will feel completely happy. And if we don't feel completely unhappy and satisfied, we're not giving to Krishna. Just like Srila Prabhupada said, when you're eating, you will feel nourished. And if you don't feel nourished, either you're not eating, maybe you're chewing gum. Huh? So like you're eating, but you're not really eating. Or there's some parasite in your body. So if we don't feel satisfied, either we're not really serving Krishna, or that we're committing some grievous offense that's pulling out all of our nutrition. So please, let's not take our life in this material world, in this body, so seriously, please. It's not very serious. We are here for eight billionths of a second in universal time. We are not this body. We have nothing to do with this world. And all of our, all the things that come to us and all the things we lose, none of that is serious. And none of it is ours anyway. Take it as simply a loving exchange with Krishna. Krishna, what can I give you today? 
Krishna, what can I give you today? And then Krishna will say, ah, what can I give you today? Oh, what can I give you today? And don't worry. Whatever Krishna takes, he will give back millions and millions and millions of times in a feeling of complete satisfaction. And whenever one gives to Krishna, because he's the soul of all souls, we're really ultimately giving to ourselves. And we're finally giving to ourselves in the right way. So thank you very much, and thank you for all your hospitality here in Chennai at Radha Krishna's temple. Radha Krishna, Lisa Vishaka, Gornitai, Nisinga, Lakshmi Nisinga, and Shalabram, and Govardhan, and Radha Krishna, Chandavali, and Jagannath, Balaram, Subhadra. You have the whole spiritual world here in your temple. Thank you again very much for your hospitality. And hopefully, Krishna willing, I can visit again sometime if he, if he likes, and I can get all of your wonderful Sangha. So we have just a few minutes. If anyone has any questions or comments or additions or subtractions or chastisements, corrections. Sometimes I get those, you know, might as well ask for them. Yes, please. Uh, how to maintain enthusiasm? Uh-huh. So it depends whether you're your office or temple. How to maintain our enthusiasm? Uh, you will not be able to maintain your enthusiasm until you're at least 50% free of passion ignorance. So if our enthusiasm wavers, this means that we are still at least 50% covered by passion ignorance. And there's no way that you can become steady in enthusiasm until at least 50% of passion ignorance are gone. You just can't. It's just impossible. You can't do it. So what you want to do is work at getting free of passion and ignorance. How do you get rid of passion and ignorance? Get rid of the desires for which passion and ignorance is covering you. Passion and ignorance covers us because we have certain desires that can only be fulfilled by being covered with passion and ignorance. The coverings of the modes are in response to our desires. So therefore we have to change the desires and we change the desires primarily through hearing and association. By hearing and association we start thinking, oh, I think I'd like to be a spiritual person. I don't think I want to be a selfish person anymore. And the more we desire like that, the more the passion ignorance retreats. And as it retreats, as you have at least 50% sattvagun, then you can become steady. Sattvagun enthusiasm is, is steady. It's not affected by the circumstances. Rajagun enthusiasm is very much affected by circumstances. If everything's going well, you're enthusiastic. If everything's not going well, you're not enthusiastic. And Tamagun enthusiasm is tomorrow. It's Tamagun enthusiasm. If you're re completely in Tamagun, you know, you don't get out of bed. If you're a little bit of, of Rajagun, at least you get out of bed. So if you're just a little bit of Rajagun, you lose your enthusiasm as soon as things don't go your way, immediately. You know, okay, I'm going to try this. If it doesn't work in five minutes, you lose your enthusiasm. That means you're mostly Tamagun with a little, little bit of Rajagun. If you have more Rajagun, you can be enthusiastic for weeks. You know? But as soon as the goal looks like it's moved, then, okay, forget it. No, I'm not getting my goal. Goodbye. So that's Rajagun. Sattvagun enthusiasm is not affected by success and failure in the circumstances. And, 
And in bhakti, your enthusiasm is always there because you are seeing Krishna everywhere. <laughs> it's affected by love. But anyway, the main way we get out of the modes of material nature is by changing our desires. That's what's acting as a magnet for the modes. We're basically saying to Krishna in the heart, I want this. And he's saying, okay, in order to get this, you have to have a certain consciousness. So he covers you with a certain kind of consciousness. So bhakti is about changing your desires. Is that all right? That's a very short answer. Yeah. So why would the Pandavas, especially Nara's Yudhisthira, who said that every thought that comes to my mind is dharma, why would he have lost the gambling match? Or why would he have even play? Why, why did he play, play the gambling match against good advice? Well, you can look at it from different, at different levels. So we can answer this on, on several different levels. From the material level of Varnashram, he's supposed to set an example. The devotees are supposed to set an example. And he's apparently a Ksatriya, and he has a code of honor. And the Ksatriyas have a code of honor that they never retreat from a challenge. That's their code of honor. Yeah, they have to have this code of honor because otherwise they won't be willing to protect their country. Now this is a, a principle in the military, a principle in, in, in government. No matter how difficult, no matter how dangerous, no matter how much you stand to lose, you cannot refuse a challenge. Uh, the other thing is that he was being, this, this invitation to gambling was being given ultimately by Dhritarashtra, who was his elder. So again, as showing the example in society that he was going to obey his elder, even if his elder was giving a, a wrong instruction. So this, if this principle isn't followed, then all of society falls apart. If people say, I will only follow my authorities when they give an instruction that I think is correct, all of society falls apart. Because then there's no real authority. But there is also a higher principle. The higher principle is if your authority gives an instruction that is morally or ethically wrong, it is your duty to disobey. Just like in Nuremberg, in the war trials, the Nazis' excuse was, we were just following our authority, and still they were executed. If your authority tells you there's something wrong, you are supposed to disobey. And in fact, we're going to see this in the story of Bali Maharaj. His authority tells him to do something wrong, and he disobeys. So why did Maharaj Yudhisthira not show that example? Why did he show the lower principle? But by showing the lower principle, there was much suffering. Isn't that correct? So indirectly, he was showing the higher principle. And we may say, why do the devotees do that? Why do they sometimes follow a lower principle and suffer? Bhishma also followed a lower principle and suffered. He says, the Kurus are maintaining me, therefore I have to fight for them even if they're wrong. So why? Because that example is also necessary. That someone will say, even Bhishma, even Maharaj Yudhisthira, if they do something wrong, there will be a problem. What to speak of me? Because somebody might say, well, I can do this. I'm so advanced. I'm so great. Uh, even Maharaj Yudhisthira, this happened to me. 
And the devotees are so, these devotees on this level, they're so surrendered to Krishna, they are willing to be made a bad example of. Most of us are not willing to do that. Most of us say, Krishna, use me as a good example, please. But the devotees, the, the real devotees, they don't care about fame and infamy. They don't, they don't care about fame and infamy. It's not important to them. They just care that Krishna loves me. So Maharaj Yudhisthira is being criticized 5,000 years later. Here we are criticizing him. Just imagine. Would you want to be criticized 5,000 years from now? I don't even want to be criticized five minutes from now. What to speak of 5,000 years from now? You know, to, to me as an ordinary conditioned soul, you know, I, I want Krishna to give me fame and honor. I don't want Krishna to give me, you know, infamy and dishonor. And if he does, I become very disturbed. Oh, Krishna, I'm serving you. Why is you having people dishonor me? Someone came to meet me here a week ago like that. People are criticizing me. Why is this? I'm very disturbed. But the, to the devotees, they, they don't care. They know that those are just, they're just external things. If it will please Krishna for me to be dishonored, if that will add to the purpose he wants to do, then that's my pleasure. Like the gopis saying, we'll give the dust for our feet for Krishna's headache. Well, you know, I, I used to play in dramas. Sometimes I still do. So the last time I was in a drama, it was at the Govardhan retreat, and they asked me to play Jatila. So she's the bad guy. In the, she's trying to separate Radha and Krishna. Of course, she's also pure devotee. And I understood that she's a comic character. And like Madhu Mangal, everybody laughs with him, but Jatila, everyone laughs at her. So the whole drama was full of jokes at, at Jatila's expense. She was constantly being made to look like a fool. But if that pleases Krishna, then that's ecstatic. Or in the Ramayana, I, I played Shripanika. So I remember the devotee who played uh, Ravan. He was a really pukka brahmachari. He left his body. Really, really pukka pukka. And very uh, soft, very gentle person, very austere, very detached, very respectful person. But for Ram's happiness in the drama, he was playing Ravana. Opposite. You would never think this person could play Ravana. He was, he was such a good actor. So the devotee is willing to take any role, any position as Krishna desires. So that is on the higher level of rasa, on the, on the lower level. Is that all right? Let me ask if anybody else has any questions. Anybody else? Because we are almost out of time. Anybody else? Okay. Yes. I, you know, I've always wondered about that. When we say dwarf incarnation, does it mean she actually looks like a dwarf? Because usually dwarfs and midget, they're not, they're not proportioned properly. And we know the Lord is always very beautiful. Like here you see Vamandeva. He's very beautiful. Usually we show him more like a little boy, like he's a young boy, rather than that he's, you know, what we would call a dwarf or a midget. That's the best answer I can give you. Yes, you had another question?
is, is, that is also my experience. Of course, it depends on how you give, because the, there's charity in the modes of nature. So charity in the mode of ignorance, you give very disrespectfully. You know, here's your 50 lakhs. I want it back. So even if you, or you're giving to the wrong person, you know, you're giving to the alcoholic bomb in the street. So, and the mode of ignorance you give to the wrong person, or you give to the right person, you give to Krishna, or you give to the devotees, but very disrespectfully, or at the wrong time, wrong place. So then you may get back, but not so, not so nicely. Then mode of passion, you give with resentment. Oh, why did I give? Or some authority asking you, I don't want to give, but all right, I guess I'll give something. Why did I give? I shouldn't have given. Now I don't have anything. Right? Or thinking, oh, if I give, then my name will be on the wall. And everybody will see. Oh, I have given. <laughs> so then again, you get back, but not so much. And then more to goodness, you give. The right thing to do is give. I've been given so much, I should also give. I'm just giving so I will feel happy inside. I'm not giving because I feel pressured. I'm not giving for fame. I'm not giving because I think I'm great. I'm giving because I want to feel happy. I want to feel balanced inside. So that's in Sadhguru and in Bhakti. I'm giving so Krishna will smile. And the, the higher your kind of giving, the more you get back. I mean, I had a very funny situation in uh, New Zealand. So, you know, some temples, when you go there as a preacher, they pay your airfare, and some don't. Some temples, they pay nobody's airfare, some, or train, or whatever. Some they pay some people's, and some they pay everybody's. So I knew that in Auckland, New Zealand, they didn't pay anybody's travel expenses. And it's an island, so you can't get there by train, you know. <laughs> You have to take an airplane. So Jackie Takamaj was there, and he, he was there with two assistants, one for cameras. He was sitting on the Vyasa sun at the end of his class. He said, the temple here doesn't cover my airfare, so if anybody would like to give some contribution for my airfare, I'd be very happy. So I was sitting in the class, and I'm also a traveling preacher, so I understand. You know? And I thought, I understand what that is. I, I know what that means. You know, that, that you're traveling and, and nobody covers your travel expenses. So just out of a feeling of, of affection and a feeling of, of connection, I thought, oh, I will give him something. And later he came to the Guru Kula, we were all sitting and talking. And I just said, here, here's $50. And at that time in my life, I, was, I had really nothing of my own and I had, I had no income and nothing. And the next day, somebody handed me $500. So I thought, oh, that's a very interesting investment profile. So this is the real investment banking. <laughs> if you advertise like that, they'd say you was cheating, right? But that's how Krishna works. I just like Prabhupada told my godbrother who, who helped build the temple in Vrindavan. He said, you're giving Krishna a house, he'll give you a house in Goloka Vrindavan. But the tricky thing is if you do it with that mentality that it doesn't, if you're thinking, okay, Krishna, let's see, I'll give you 50 and tomorrow you give me 500, then it doesn't. Then that becomes Rajagun and Tamagun and then Krishna's like, wait, I don't really want to do business with you. So that's another thing. But that's... That's our experience.
over and over and over and over again. That's our experience. I remember there's one devotee who was, uh, who was telling me, she says, I'm going to write this book and I, I promised so-and-so Maharaj that if this book becomes you know, a bestseller and makes millions of dollars, I won't keep anything, I'll give it all to his project. And she said, then he asked me, do you want anything? And, and she told me, she said, yeah, I, I wish I could fly business class and have some good luggage. So again, because I travel, I could relate to that. And I said to her, well, I can't do anything about the business class, but I could buy you a suitcase. <laughs> so I gave her some money and I said, here, you take it and buy the suitcase. And she says, is this all right? I said, yeah, yeah, I'll get it back. And then when she left, I was thinking, will I really get it back? <laughs> and like two days later, that's what some, someone gave me back, like the exact amount. And, okay, I got it. So it, this, this is our experience. Give Krishna your life, you'll get a million times more. A million times. Unlimited. Just please make sure you're giving to Krishna. Please make sure you're giving to Krishna and make sure one's giving in the proper consciousness. One should actually give without thinking what I will get back. One shouldn't be giving thinking. Just, just to give. One more story and then we have to... Okay. takes everything and gives everything. For those who don't surrender, Nitya Sarva Hasaham. Krishna's death. Everything belongs to him. And he will claim it anyway. And in fact, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bhagavatam we're coming up to in this story, so I'm stealing it from the devotee who will give class in my absence. When Bali Maharaj finally decides to give everything to the Lord, he says, why not give to the Lord all the riches one is destined to lose at death anyway? Of course, this doesn't mean that all of us should now go home and take everything out of our bank account and put it in the... I'm sorry. That's not what it means. You can also use your things in your own home for Krishna. It's not that you have to give everything to the box over there. I mean, put something in the box. But that's not, the, that's not necessarily the point. We're not saying everybody go home now and sell your house and sell your car and sell all your furniture and, and live on the street and Krishna will give you a new house. He may, but that's, that's not what we're saying. We're saying use everything for Krishna because he is taking everything already. And to those who give him everything, he is giving it. And he's giving it now. It's not even just future. It's not even... It, it, you will experience it now. We give him our, our energy, our intelligence, our love. And dedicate everything. Giving him everything means using everything in such a way that he will smile. That's what it means. That I take everything and use it in such a way that he will smile. And if he says, now I want it back, it was always yours. And if he says, here, take this, okay, I will use it in such a way that he will smile. 
immediately. Not, it doesn't wait till after death or some kind of, you have to have faith that you get some reward in a million years or something. One will feel it immediately. Thank you very much. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai.